What is up? What it do? What it be, people? You are now listening to Star Talks, a podcast where everything from what an engineering student does to what engineers does in the industry is answered. Shashwat? We have a few of our friends from other universities today. We have Bisham Ramkusun and Janelle Botel. Hey guys, uh, welcome to Star Talks. How are you doing? Hey everyone, um, doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well too. Uh, hope everything's all right. All right. So, so just to start off with, you guys can talk about like what program you're in, what university you're in, just like go, just go in the general overview of what you guys do. So start off with Janelle, I guess. Um, so I am a computer science major studying at University of Guelph. I'm currently in second year, just finished my first semester of second year. Uh, it's been a pretty good experience so far. I'm, I'm loving the university. I'm loving the environment. The professors have been great. The course offerings is also very broad. You learn everything from just basics of programming all the way to uh, machine learning and AI, which is one of the higher end courses that Guelph offers. Yeah, the, the facilities and everything, the, the offerings, like I already said, at Guelph are just amazing. I'm, I'm loving the university and the program so far. Bisham and... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, obviously, as you already know, hopefully, my name is Bisham, um, and I'm currently studying computer engineering uh, with co-op at Ryerson University. Just like Janel, I also just finished my second, uh, my first semester and second year, and so far, online learning. I know it's uh, it's definitely not something uh, I was expecting going in, uh, but so far, it's been a great experience. I've loved uh, the way that you know the way things have been you know, been going on from not only lectures to to quizzes to exams. The department seems to be very, very understanding. Uh, computer engineering as a whole seems very much uh, as I expected through Ryerson, uh, getting an ability to balance my learning of hardware and software and learning how to make the best of both worlds meet together um, while also being educated on what it takes to become, you know, a very responsible and uh, knowledgeable engineer in the real world. So, uh, Junio, um, how has your online experience been so far? Like, yeah, the semester is over, but like, how was the past few months? Um, I have mixed feelings about online learning. Uh, I am someone that commutes to the university. So, you know, having uh, this work from home or study from home kind of an environment is great because <clears throat> I don't have to commute to university. It's an hour long. I'm saving a lot of time in my day to do other things. But at the same time, that like in-person experience that you have with, with that one-on-one -on -one professor talks that you get to do, it just isn't available or, or it's not available to the same capacity we, uh, via Zoom or whatever virtual uh, platform that you use. And also I think it's harder, our, our professors are uh, purposefully making certain things harder and I understand why. It's because they want to prevent cheating in some sort if they can't just straight up proctor you so um overall yeah i'd say i have mixed feelings i don't get to uh i don't have to commute to university but at the same time just that one-on-one -on -one experience that you have it's not there uh in online learning uh what about you Bishan? um as much as i do enjoy the way ryerson teaches online i do share some of the same concerns that janel does uh number one uh even though i don't necessarily have one-on-one -on -one talk with my professors I do miss it uh, with labs, for example, like we're, we're substituting our laboratories for online program use or uh, virtual simulation. And you simply don't get the same experience because uh, when you're physically working with a circuit, um, there's obviously a lot more challenges that you can observe in the real world uh, in comparison to a simulation, for example. So that sense of realism is taken away. And also when it came to examinations, I feel that professors do indeed make things harder. And likewise with JNL's uh, concerns, it is also for them, you know, for them to kind of compensate for some sort of academic integrity. Uh, but I do feel that there is a middle ground and a point at which it seems unfair. Uh, there were points in times where uh, we as, you know, course alumni, we actually ended up signing petitions and sending them off to the departments. Uh, to voice our concerns because of a few issues that we noticed during exams that took away some essential tips or essential methodologies um, for progressing ourselves when doing examinations and things of that nature. 
I would agree with you on that too, especially for my courses is I mainly to the part where you said our labs and are mostly online simulations that causes a lot of, uh, it takes away a lot of hands-on experience that you really, really need as a second year student to progress forward. Cause I know for yeah. a fact when we hit third year or move forward to more hands-on classes, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be an even more steeper learning curve now because we never had that experience of, you know, assembling a proper circuit or working with like physical capacitors and all of that stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Moving on to the uh, next question is Janil, why did you choose computer science? What led you to go towards the computer science route? Uh, it was because of my great high school teacher known as Tony Campos. Um, I, I was not interested. I'll be honest with you. I was not interested or I wasn't even aware that I would like to go into a programming uh, field back in grade nine or 10, I would say. I was, I was strictly just looking at engineering, more specifically mechanical or computer engineering. But ever since I took that grade 11 class with my high school teacher, I, I really just fell in love with programming because it incorporated everything that I was good at, which was mathematics and problem solving. Those are the two major things you need as a programmer. And moving forward in grade 12, that experience got even better when we started to do a little bit more uh, intricate level programming where you had, we were learning Java at the time and we started looking into object oriented programming. So those two classes in high school just really made me fall in love with, with programming. And then I took a further look at uh, web development and machine learning and all the possible like data science and AI stuff that I could do in the future. And I, I just loved it. There's also another thing I'd like to mention that as I got into grade 11 and 12 and I started taking physics and chemistry, I didn't enjoy science as much as I enjoyed uh, programming and mathematics. And so for those two reasons, I, I chose uh, programming slash computer science over engineering. I 100%, I 100% felt that. <laughs> Um, Bisham, what about you? You're in computer engineering. What chose, what made you select computer engineering over say the other engineering strands or maybe even over computer science? Well, great question. Um, for my own personal reasons, I started thinking about kind of the world around me. I noticed that technology obviously takes off. Um, noticing that practically since the sixties, technology has been a great tool. Uh, in every single sector that you can think of. Like, for example, right now what we're doing, we're able to deliver a form of media that never used to exist before, right? It's different from a radio frequency that's delivered. Um, when you're looking at the healthcare sector, thanks to technology, we're able to have um, amazing tests done, more commonly known MRIs, for example. So that's a great example. Just noticing the tech around me kind of evolving and becoming an ever-growing and ever-attached part of our lives, um, I knew I wanted to work in the technology industry. I know that personally, I want to end up in software development. And naturally, my original thought was to go into computer science. Uh, but as I started springing myself into the last two years of high school, I uh, started going into our uh, technology engineering class and uh, where we learned how to mesh hardware and software together like we worked with arduino projects um, and created some great uh, great final projects together um, uh, for example in grade 11 we did a line following robot where we not only built it but we also programmed it and we learned it gave me a first kind of insight and hands-on experience to learn exactly what it is um, that i wanted to do like i love learning about taking things apart understanding why they work and also seeing what it is you know, technology can do in terms of when we have the capability of great hardware and great software at our disposal. And for that reason, I chose computer engineering because I knew that in the end of the day, that's exactly what I wanted to learn about. And that's exactly what the course offers compared to other strands of engineering, such as biomedical or chemical uh, or even electrical. Those are just a little too practical or out of my scope. Um, when I was going through, you know, the science courses in high school, I got rid of biology completely because I just found it to be too much memorization. I enjoyed physics and chemistry, um, maybe not so much chemistry, but more so physics. And I did like mathematics as well. But I knew at the end of the day, uh, I wanted to be working with some sort of tech and put my knowledge in either the science fields and mathematical fields into an engineering application. And so 
Yeah. So is it fair? Is it fair to say that you went into computer engineering for more of the being able to mesh uh, code and hardware together to make an application that's like applicable in the real world? While Junio, you went into ComSci to come to kind of understand the inner working inner workings of what code what code does or why code does what it does. Yep, I think I think that for for at least for me, I think that's uh, that's a fair way to put it. Um, that's essentially the the goal that I had in mind. Yeah. Okay. Practically makes sense. I I want to learn about how hardware and software mesh together. Um, mm-hmm. Even though my ending goal for a job is to be in the software industry, I still wanted to know exactly how it is we could use the best of software, best of hardware, and have them mesh together to create the best solution for any sort of industry that exists out there in the real world. I guess that that's, that's a good overview of why you guys chose, why you guys chose like computer science or computer engineering. Uh, I just want to ask you guys, uh, what, uh, what have you learned so far in your specific programs? So some of our audience might be from computer science, might be from computer engineering or looking to go into those universities, right? So you guys can just like share what you guys, just a brief overview of what courses you have done uh, at your specific universities, that would be great. I guess, Jamil, you can start off with this. Sure. Um, so if you're coming to computer science or you're already at, at Guelph for computer science, first year, you'll be looking at just some basic introductory courses. For example, first semester, first year, I had uh, intro to computer science in which we learned just basic C programming, just the fundamentals of programming, uh, conditional statements, for loops, uh, all that sort of stuff. And then we also had this intro to discrete mathematics course where you talk about just some algebra work, um, proofs and whatnot, logic gates and all that stuff. Um, and then you have a little bit of math in first year. You're going to have calculus one and then your algebra because those are kind of the basics of, of uh, mathematics in university and something that you will need in the future if you do decide to go into data science, for example. Okay. And then you also have lots of electives and uh, area of application courses that you can take for fun. For example, I ended up taking marketing and economics because I did have plans of going into a business minor. I have changed that. I'm now looking at a stats minor because it's going to be much more useful for a uh, data science uh, field in the future. And then right now in second year, I'm taking more advanced courses or well, uh, they're actually mandatory courses that I have to take. For example, object-oriented programming in Java, we learned intermediate programming in C where you get into memory management and data structures such as linked lists, stacks, queues, heaps, etc. And we also had this fun little course called assembly programming. Uh, if you guys know about the x86 structure, we did something similar to that except it was the Motorola 68 structure. Uh, you learn uh, this is where the hardware kind of comes into place. This is the connection to hardware that computer science makes. It's a very small connection, but you essentially, at the end of the course, you learn to fully program a microcomputer, uh, which is which is very, ama- uh, very amazing. I didn't find it as interesting for myself because I couldn't see myself using this in the future for what I want to do. However, if someone is interested in something like this, uh, it was it was a very fun course. In the future, I'll give you a little brief of what I would be taking. For example, next semester, I'm taking this course uh, for algorithm design. Uh, There's also this operating systems course, which I will be taking. And uh, another theoretical course I'm taking next semester is called UI design, where uh, by the name you can tell, you learn to design UI. uh, That's not only aesthetically pleasing, but also efficient. But yeah, that's pretty much what I've done so far. I see. I see. Uh, we've done the x86 as well in our course, and our main um, it was kind of an introduction to x86. We worked with MP Lab to kind of figure out like basic registry uh, association, pipelining, and all of that. Um, considering yeah. that, Bisham, now we would like to kind of compare because us three, me, uh, Philip, and Shashwat are doing computer engineering yeah, at different universities, and you are exactly. Yeah. So, what are the programs? What are the courses that you have done? So immediately coming right off of that, um, 
I haven't touched anything with x86 structures just as yet. <laughs> um, so seeing that it's actually a direct comparison going from a CS major at, at Guelph to three engineers in co the computer discipline at York is pretty interesting. Um, I'm studying the same discipline, uh, as you already know, but at a different university, and I haven't touched that. Um, but if you're looking to come to computer engineering at Ryerson, uh, here's a few things you should know. So for first year, you're looking at a very, very shared uh, course load. So when I say shared, it means that it's common to all the engineering disciplines um, as follows. Aerospace, biomedical, chemical, civil, computer, electrical, industrial, and mechanical. So all the disciplines of engineering that are offered at Ryerson all share the exact same first term. So you'll be learning about a uh, just a basic set of chemistry. Uh, you're starting off with your first of three calculus courses. Um, which are spread out by each semester. Uh, so yes, it goes into uh, second year first term. He'll also be taking a little bit of linear algebra and going into physics. These are all just very basic courses, kind of almost like high school refreshers or high school plus level, if you if you will. Um, so they're nothing really too specific to my particular field of engineering just as yet. Um, we also have to take a liberal course, um, which for us, Ryerson limited it. Uh, for or gave it like a limited selection for specifically engineering people. So we couldn't take the uh, chemistry courses or physics courses um, or any sort of technology course. I guess they were trying to base it off uh, in such a way that we could kind of have this liberal be our escape from from our major, if you will, if that makes sense. Um, there was really nothing too course specific for me in my first year, first term. Going into second term of first year though, it moved on and it got a little bit more specific as now Ryerson gave us common courses with the electrical engineering department. So courses that I, were taking, that I was taking involved uh, programming and where we started off with C, all we did was practically cover just the basics of C. So if you never worked with it before, this is kind of like your introductory course, learning about variables, what they are, um, the variable types, uh, basic kind of coding structures um, that every, you know, that any individual who's learned the language should already know, uh, like the back of their hand. We also took a little economics course, uh, which more or less was kind of unrelated to our entire course as a whole. Um, the entire thing was kind of based off of money and investments. There was really nothing to deal with the engineering world in it, unfortunately. However, the things that did get very specific is we were introduced to our electric circuit analysis class, in which we learned to build circuits, learn about the different types of components. Um, we learned about efficiency management, ways to efficiently design circuits. Um, and when we did the laboratories, we learned to focus heavily on um, not only building what it is we saw in schematics, but learning exactly what it is that changed whenever we altered a component or learning to find the math behind um, why it is a circuit is more efficient in one configuration over another. And then the last two of the five courses that we took were just um, uh, kind of follow-up courses. We did a second version of calculus. Um, which got us more into like improper integrals, partial derivatives, and infinite sequences and such. Um, this last course was physics. Uh, first semester, you'd be covering mechanics, which is all, all about kind of practical forces um, versus waves and fields, which deals more about like sound, uh, springs, like simple harmonic motion, and surrounds the whole course based off of just that one ideal. Moving into second year, um, I just finished my first term, so I'm just going to talk just about that. Um, I'll try and briefly go over what it is I'm going to cover in my second term. But starting things off, we started off with a software systems class where we learned about Java um, as opposed to C from last year um, and kind of went through the same thing. We, we covered everything from the basics all the way up to object-oriented programming. Um, it was mostly just to get us familiar with the language uh, and teach us the capabilities that Java had and some of its limitations. We also had a second digital systems class that was more or less a uh, kind of like an add-on circuits class where we learned about the different types of components. So when you're building circuits, for example, you'll learn about different types of counters. I remember doing this in high school, actually. I know me and Mavin came from the same high school, so he knows, and so did Jano. 
and Joshua. So we all know exactly what we're talking about. Um, yeah, TEJ, when we covered, I don't know if you guys remember when we covered how to do the seven segment counter. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. Right. So in this class, we actually went over the different types of uh, chipsets that we had. You remember how um, our teacher had a whole bunch of different chips that we could use and flip flops and like all these random like things that we just knew how that existed. And he made us use the textbook to look them up. Yeah, and the data sheets and stuff. Exactly. So what we covered in this course uh, for the audience that's listening is exactly how they were built and how they work the way they do. So in high school, I was in, we were all introduced to the component and we were told to just read a textbook and figure out how it works um, just so we could get along and learn how to use it. In this course, we learned exactly the schematic that's actually inside of the chip, learning about what logic gates it was composed of, um, and we're taught exactly how it cycles through the way it does. Um, the labs for this course, we used a virtual lab simulation program called Multisim. And uh, we learned to uh, use a very particular type of coding format called VHDL, Verilog code, uh, as it's also known. And we learned a few things. We learned how to build the chipsets and learned how to build the chips uh, by coding them manually. But we also learned how to build them uh, using the program's given schematics. Um, and we covered things for making seven segment displays and we finished off the course by making our final, uh, our final project, which was to design a general purpose CPU. So it covered all the basic arithmetic operations um, that you'd find inside the ALU component of a computer chip. So that kind of covered our second digital systems course. Um, and I think that was definitely useful to me as an engineer in the computer engineering discipline. It was great because I got to see exactly what it is. I kind of got to revisit uh, something I found in high school, and it made it very interesting to learn about it again, but from a different perspective. And then just like how we had a circuit analysis question, uh, course, sorry, from second year, we had the next level up from that, which is all about electrical networks. Um, in this case, we talked about even further circuit design and circuit analysis. Um, these would include things, uh, the bigger concepts being like op amps, three-phase circuits, uh, frequency responses, um, and things of that nature. It was more so just introducing us to what they were and how how they work. And it wasn't exactly anything too big, but it was definitely a good build on from last year's course. Um, the last two courses that we taught were just uh, differential equations and vector calculus, and then solid state physics. Um, this part of it deals specifically with uh, PN junction and semiconductors. And this course in particular for all the physics that I had to take so far, which if you're following along was three so far, um, this was definitely the most applicable to my field because we were learning about uh, the PN junction uh, where we learned about intrinsic and doped semiconductors. Um, and we learned about MOSFET. I don't know if you guys touched about it in your, at your computer engineering programs. Um, we haven't looked at MOSFETs yet, no. No, we haven't. Okay, so, like, just, I'm pretty sure you're already aware of the concept, but it is just a field effect transistor, um, and it works in a very, very particular way to uh, transistors. You remember NPN transistors from high school? Yeah. Yes, they're, they work kind of similar. Like, you remember how there was an emitter, base, and collector? Mm hmm Yeah, exactly. So... <laughs> In physics here, we covered uh, what exactly the three different types of semiconductors were. So intrinsic, doped. Um, doped had two types, positive and negative. And we learned how they could be put together back to back to create a MOSFET device, uh, which was a component we used in one of the circuit classes uh, for one of our final projects as well. So I think it was pretty interesting to see how uh, Ryerson kind of structured uh, their course curriculum around in such a way that all the different courses tie together in one sense. Because I was learning about the inner workings of a component in one class, and I was configuring it in another. Um, and kind of moving on from that, just the last part, which is the third program, or sorry, the third, fourth semester, so second year, second half, we're just going to be talking more about uh, engineering communication. Uh, so. In first year, we had an introduction course that taught us about the engineering world. We're kind of furthering on that where we're going to get a little bit more about um, 
get to work a little bit more collaboratively um, through various kind of platforms. I haven't gotten a personal insight on this yet. Um, we're also taking another step further for digital systems where we're gonna learn a little bit more about um, arrays and pointers and data structures, um, abstract data structures and things of that nature. And overall, just a lot more math and circuit analysis to come. And that practically summarizes what Ryerson has been doing for programming um, and course offerings in the computer engineering discipline here. Mm, this, this guy spared no detail on that one. <laughs> I know, I went for a really long one and I know it's probably gonna be difficult for the audience to follow along, but I hope that for someone that was actually interested and really interested in it, I hope I did a really good job at explaining. Yeah, but like um, we kind of did the same thing except for um, your, uh, we did circuits, our first, uh, we did, our first semester for first year was quite similar to all the other engineering disciplines. Uh, our second year, we, we became a little bit more specific by taking discrete mathematics. Um, and oh, then- That's a fun class. Yeah, that, yes, that was um, fun times. A really fun <laughs> yeah. class. Still traumatized by it. But anyways, uh, second year, we headed on to take um, circuit analysis, as Bisham said, um, basically working with capacitors, inducers, working with steady state analysis and simple things like that. Um, and also um, op amps. Um, then we did the Verilog course that Bisha mentioned, where we worked with uh, finding out, understanding how registers and different uh, arithmetic logic unit works in a basic microchip. And our, again, as Bisham said, our final, final project or lab was to kind of make a full-on CPU. Um, again, we, use, we also used the Verilog system a Verilog to our people is uh, not a coding language exactly. It's more of like a description software. Uh, would you guys say the same as well? Yeah. 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 yeah I, I would agree with you. Yeah. It's kind of like an ID. Almost. Yeah. So, yeah. It's kind of like a, uh, I don't know how to explain it. It's not quite a programming language, but more so kind of like a, it kind of almost seems like halfway English, halfway yeah, coding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can you can call it a simulator because that's essentially what we used for our uh, Motorola 68K assembly course. We use something called Easy 68K, which is a, a micro the microcomputer 68K. It's a simulator for that. So you can you can view registers, you can view like address registers, the memory stack. You can view all those things and also code at the same time. So um, yeah, it's it's like an ID simulator in a sense. Verilog is also classified as a programming language, right? Like I was just look, looking into it a bit, and they mentioned it as a, a language used to model electronic systems, as Junior also mentioned, right? And uh, like it's mainly used in design and verification of digital circuits and uh, so on. Oh yeah. So it is a language. Yeah. It's it, well, I don't know. It just didn't feel like it. Just felt awkward calling it a language to me. <laughs> Yeah, it's probably the least programming language that I've, like, it's the least programming language looking yeah, exactly. that I've dealt with. So, like, those are some uh, of the courses that we did. And then, like, a huge thing that I noticed even after Janine Munch's courses and so did Bisham is our first years and some of our courses do overlap significantly. Won't you guys say that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I feel that because we're still early on in our programs, um, I feel that universities tend to kind of generalize the first year, first term uh, to kind of group all the students so they're all kind of on the same page, if that makes sense. I don't know if that's just me, but you guys could probably have your own little insight on that as well. Yeah, no, no, I agree with you. I definitely I definitely think that they're intertwined um, to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah, so moving on to the next question that I have for you guys. Out of all the universities we have, in Ontario and across Canada. Why did you choose a specific university you currently are at right now? Do you know what you can start off? Well, um, I didn't apply to many universities back in grade 12. I applied to five, which might still be a lot for some people, I guess. Um, if you'd like, if I remember correctly, my top choices in order were Waterloo, UFT, Ottawa, Guelph, and Ryerson. Those are the five that I applied to. Um, I unluckily did not get into Waterloo. I got in the other four and um 
essentially i didn't i didn't want to go to uft because i heard many good things about it like it's a great school it's rated top 50 in the world and best in canada so obviously it's not it's not a joke however i heard equally as um i don't want to use the word bad but some negative things about the university which kind of strayed me away from it uh ottawa i couldn't attend because my i was i'm an only child my parents didn't want to have me away from them for like five years so it really just came down to Guelph versus uh, Ryerson. And like I said, Guelph was ranked higher on my list because of their course offerings they had at uh, Guelph for computer science versus Ryerson computer science and just the environment and the people there were. I heard many good things about it. So I chose Guelph over Ryerson. Um, but honestly, there wasn't anything specific between the two that made me choose one over the other. I think they're both great. I do have lots of friends, including Bisham, that goes to Ryerson, and I've heard many good things about it. It's just Guelph happened to be closer to me in terms of commuting. So that was like the main reason I chose Guelph over uh, um, Ryerson. But obviously, if I had the choice between like Guelph and Ottawa or you know Waterloo, then obviously I wouldn't have chosen Guelph because Waterloo is just the superior <laughs> university. Mm-hmm. I think commute was like a big factor for even me, Mevin, and Shashrit. Like since York was like a closer university to us, right? Uh, that's why that also influenced our decision for sure. What about you, Bishan? Um, so for me, I only applied to three universities. wasn't the smartest option. Um, I applied to Waterloo, U of T, and Ryerson, and just like Janel heard many good things about U of T, so did I. And I was looking a lot. I guess I could say I was blind in the sense that I was only looking strictly at the ratings of the university, but never really looking so much into alumni life or kind of the experience as a whole, um, because I also got some negative connotations and uh, I've heard some negative things about U of T as well for student life. Um, But the factor why I chose three in the first place was just because I knew that for every choice I made, I was going to be satisfied with any one of them. Like if I got into nothing but just one, I knew that that one would still be satisfactory to me. Like I would be happy going to the university I chose for the program that I chose. Um, And when it came to Waterloo, unfortunately I didn't get through. Um, But looking back at it, I was quite happy because I noticed that for my academic performance uh, in high school, and what Waterloo expected of their students, knowing that I would be grouped with a bunch of similar people, considering I was pushing myself to my hardest limits to get um, the average that I got, uh, and considering the fact that I could possibly be placed into a school where people might be like, you know, effortlessly grabbing something like that, I feel that it might be very easy for me to fall behind or kind of get tossed into the crowd, if that makes sense. So that's Um, a really good way to look at it. Yeah, because I noticed that if I was really pushing myself to get, you know, like an A plus, for example, meanwhile, there's somebody else that's just easily walking through this. Um, you never necessarily know what they're now capable of when they have the access to the right resources and mindset of thinking and how much quickly, you know, the workload can take you over. Um, I guess knowing your own limitations and like knowing where yeah, the boundaries it, are is like a good way. Exactly. To- it's a lot there's a lot more involved with that than just looking at what a university has to offer for courses and how it ranks. Yeah, like I have a few friends who went after like the university name, right? The reputation and like the, and so on, like factors like that, right? And then they noticed mm-hmm. the, like they realized the struggle immediately after first semester, right? Of like, try, as right. you said, maintaining that, uh, like staying within that pressure, right? And still maintaining the marks you had maintained throughout high school. Like that, that's a really valid point you brought up. Yeah, it's and that's on top of not to mention the fact that university is a big jump in workload and Mm -hmm. and time consumption from high school for a lot of people. Um, coming down to Ryerson, um, I enjoyed choosing Ryerson because, uh, one, because of its location, it's located in the, the heart of downtown. Um, the student life, um, I've heard good and bad things, everywhere has its you know positives and negatives. Um, Personally, I don't necessarily like the idea that the campus isn't really a campus. It's just a full, it's literally like five blocks in downtown Toronto that you just have to walk between. Um, But I do know that Ryerson's co-op program is very, very good. Um, Knowing that all three of the universities I chose 
contained uh, engineering board accredited programs. So, you know, if I was ever in the job industry in the future, I would never have to really worry about somebody asking me why it is I went to a place that didn't have a accredited program. Uh, that was another thing I considered. Also, I enjoy the fact that because of the location of Ryerson and its co-op program, I figured that when it comes time for me to go into the co-op program myself, um, I would have a very good outreach and a very broad selection of places to be. Uh, plus, it also helped me work on my social skills. There's being downtown and being in a university, um, also being as an engineer and just honestly a person in the working world, you need to be able to have a lot of soft skills uh, that include public speaking. Um, and you also need to also have a lot of confidence in yourself. Um, and some of the courses that I had in first year uh, that I didn't get to talk about, actually, we had a course that was an introduction to engineering, taught us about the engineering world. Um, and that course had workshops where we were able to kind of work and uh, work on those skills, such as presentation, um, you know, sociable skills that you need when you're in the real world. Um, and I really enjoyed learning about the things that Ryerson had to offer, especially when I got the chance to talk to a few people uh, uh, both in person and through like social media means. And overall, that kind of impacted my decision heavily. And that's practically what drew me into Ryerson. Mm. No, um, I understand that too. Because like the main, the commuting reasons, the social environment is like a very, very big factor. Uh, if, if you're not just going to be going to university and studying, there's other aspects of university that you should be looking at when you're attending it. And um, that the social life, as you mentioned, is a very big factor uh, of a university that you should consider. So I think with that, we can move on to our next segment. Would you guys agree? Yeah. All right. So the next one was our infamous tech trends. Uh, take it away. Yeah. So our traditional tech trends are here now. So the first tech trend kind of like holiday season, Apple did this is the AirPods Max. So they recently came out uh, two weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, right? I just want your guys' thoughts on it, the price being what it is, right? And just your general thoughts of what you guys think about the AirPods Max. Uh, wait, quick question. How much is it, by the way? <laughs> um, Overpriced. That's, that's still $7.49. <laughs> that, that's, that's like the only problem. I think that's the only problem, the overpriced factor. Other than that, most of the Of course you would say that. Is actually pretty good of course you would say that. Okay, we're talking to a biased. I, I think you <laughs> what do you guys think? What do you what does our <laughs> guest think? Let's see what they say. Uh man, I I I significantly despise these man. For seven hundred and seventy nine dollars, considering to any phone that plus tax. Right. <laughs> for a phone like like don't get like I use an like I use an Apple device on the daily. Like I have an iPhone, I have an Apple Watch, and I also use the Beats X. So I am inside the like the Apple ecosystem, but I was also coming from the Android world to begin with. Um, this is just at this point, considering they have no gesture control to any other phone but outside of an Apple device, they're just Bluetooth headphones, um, and they are heavy. And the only thing they really have going for them is comfort compared to other metal constructed headphones. I would still take my chance and buy like a 500 pair, like a $500 pair of like sound canceling Bose headphones that are like renowned for their sound cancellation um, or rather noise cancellation, sorry. Um, I'd rather take a pair of those any day over spending sub, actually over $800 on a pair of like metal Bluetooth headphones with a meshy headband. Shots have been fired. You know I mean? <laughs> Shots have been fired. Ginny, what about you? <laughs> Um, I, I completely agree with Bisham. Um, I am I am a neutral person when it comes to the whole like Apple versus you know the rest of the world, <laughs> or I should say Android. Maybe I guess you can put it that way. Um, but I, I I truly think they're overpriced because as Bisham mentioned, the the Bose QC35s, for example, or the Sony XM4s, for example, those things are. $300 right now on Boxing Day, 400 on regular price, like on a regular day, they're $400 regular price, if I'm correct. That's, you can buy two of those pairs for one Apple product, right? Because the Apple ones are what, $800 plus tax. 
Now, I'm not saying the headphones are bad. They are really good. The features they offer are actually like really, really good. But for $800, that's kind of reaching because you can get some like really good studio quality like Sennheiser headphones for $800 and they will blow the Apple ones away, like completely just off the ring. <laughs> so I think for the price, the features are not justified. However, if, if you don't look at the price, although that would be an unfair like uh, way to look at a product. Ways. Yeah, um, the, the features are good, but it, it is extremely overpriced as all Apple products are in my opinion. Oh, ouch. I would consider, I'm not going to lie, I would consider like AirPod Pros to be a much better buy if I was looking price to price. Like if I wasn't someone who really cared about, you know, my big fat head being capsulated with over-ear headphones or in-ear, um, wireless buds, I would still consider the AirPod Pros. Solely just because of the fact that they're way more portable. Like these don't even fold. Um, plus they have gesture control on the side. Yeah, like I see. What do you guys think about the case? I think that's also another big point, right? Like, if you guys seen the case, it kind of looks like a purse kind of thing, and then it doesn't. It looks like ignorance at its finest. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's like the final. It looks like it was last minute. Like they realized they they made a nice pair that like look pretty nice. It sat on someone's big head, pretty nice, but they just realized, oh wait, these don't really <laughs> have a portability factor, so they just kind of slapped like some sort of case around them and all the <laughs> yeah like some features are completely mind-boggling like something like that like some so, like a feature like i found out which was really like weird in a sense was that if you do not close the case the headphones don't shut off so they completely drain your battery right the whole time if you don't have the case on so if you don't have the metal bit on them right they completely so you drain your battery you like you're listening. You can't turn it off? You, you can't, can't like, turn, it off. turn it off and put it down? There's no off button. So no. it always stays on. If you don't have the case on, it always stays on. So if you don't like the case, well, you're going to have like five hours of battery life. Not even five hours of battery life with those headphones. But I'm so, pretty sure third parties are going to you know, make something that's going to be significantly yeah, cheaper, right? That should be. Yeah. But the the problem is, or I guess it's a it's a, a a positive and a negative thing. As we all know, Apple is is a huge trendsetter. Anything 100%. and everything that Apple does gets copied by whether it's the Chinese brands or some European brands or whatever it may be. It gets copied. Right. Uh, it's it's phones, headphones, laptops, iPads, AirPods, you name it. Everything that Apple makes is a trend. The notch is is one of the biggest and the latest trends that they. Uh, they generated and also the headphone jack so there have been a lot of things in the past that apple does which seems weird at the start but then it just it, you know next thing you know every company is doing it and so it's good because apple makes some really good products in my opinion i think their macbooks are amazing for developers like me their ipads are absolutely amazing the airpods are great all those things could be slightly overpriced some might say but in terms of just the the technological advancements and the features apple is doing amazing things and these airpods max are one of those things but the the negative side or the the worrying part about that is that if companies like bose and sony do hop on this like super expensive pair of headphones uh, trend you could be seeing like six seven hundred dollar headphones from bose and sony which would really suck for us uh, uh consumers that are looking for budget headphones but Sony doesn't Sony and like um, Bose already have those really really high end headphones. They make the high end ones and also like consumer ones, right? They have different levels. Yeah. What well, what scares even, me is even their high end ones is still I I shouldn't say only, but compared to Apple, I guess only is fair to say even their high end ones are only four hundred dollars, which is half the Apple ones. Uh, if that price goes any higher, we're all in trouble. <laughs> the I'm uh, um you know how you mentioned um they're like trendsetters. See what scares yeah. me now is if other companies start hopping on that and they say this is the only product you can get. Like imagine like Samsung makes like I don't know like some next pair of headphones like these two. That'd be kind of sad. That's already kind of taken over if you think about it. Actually, if you start looking at their. I mean, look at their phone, like their phone arms race kind of deal. Like before. Samsung used to have the kind of cheaper alternative, and I mean, I'll admit it too, like cheaper build compared to Apple phones. But it seems at this point, <laughs> right? <laughs> it just seems now like they're like, even though their build quality has changed, and I think 
in my personal opinion, product quality has went up. I feel that they've gotten to a price where it's just just simply too much. And I would much rather just go for an Apple device at this point. That's what ended up pushing me away from them. Um, just because of how simplistic and just how right Apple gets it for the consumer. You know what I mean? Hey, my laptop costs less than an Apple product right now. <laughs> but an Apple product performs better than your laptop. That's also questionable, Wiki. That's oh. that's up for debate. That's really, really, really that is up for debate. <laughs> that is up for debate. I don't see you opening. I, I don't see you opening check. Eclipse or like VS Code on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Another thing I noticed is uh, Bisham. You mentioned how you went from Android to Apple. When did this happen, and why did this happen? <laughs> oh, bro, I don't even know where to begin. My phone just kept blowing up in my hand. I gave up. I'm not even getting. So, before uh, the phone I have right now, the iPhone XS, I had a Galaxy S9. I bought it brand new out right when it came out, and it was great for like the first year thankfully but i had to get the battery replaced because battery life was terrible like it was dying easily within the day with light to moderate usage um and i already started taking some of the features off of the phone that drew me to it in the first place like for example i dropped the screen resolution down to 1080p um, i had it on battery saver mode despite doing all that it just everything was gone like that i even tried different launchers in case the stock ui was just too much for it um but nothing was working i got the battery replaced and it was working fine for like three months but then it got back to the same situation again um and it came to a point where i just left it and over the summer um i started having like literal thermal issues like the phone would heat up in my pocket from normal usage and it got to a point where I couldn't hold the phone like comfortably anymore. Like even in a case or without a case. When I took off the case it was even worse because the sides are, are metal. Uh so it started actually hurting. Just like I just left the phone there and it was practically turning itself into an oven. I knew Samsung made kitchen appliances, but I didn't know their phones were capable of doing the same thing. Uh, like it was so bad. And I gave up and I was like at this point I spent like probably around 1100 bucks for the phone mm-hmm. and i was like for it to do this only two years into its life i don't think it's fair um and one of our friends uh one of my friends and our friends by extension we all know him, um had the same phone and he got it the same time i did and i was asking them you know like how well has your phone held up over the last few last few years have you had any of the issues that you know that i was facing and they said no and then Considering the fact that Apple started uh, doing the whole performance issue thing, I remember this is a big thing that kind of threw them, I believe they got into a lawsuit for this, uh, for slowing down older phones allegedly uh, on software updates. Mm -hmm. I noticed that right after that, I don't remember the iOS version, I think it was 11 or 12, um, when they made that big update that every single iPhone just got a speed boost, like instantly. Even older iPhones such as the 6 that came out back in 2014 received um, a boost in performance. Seeing that Apple got called out, I know they don't always listen to their consumers, but considering you know, something as big as it was and they actually made a difference, um, I took it to myself and I said, honestly, if that was the case, I don't mind buying an older iPhone now. Um, and with the whole issues that were going on with my phone, I just couldn't trust myself to go back to another Android brand. Um, and the thing that actually pushed me away from Apple devices was that they're highly subscription-based. You can't listen to music offline without a subscription, whereas on an Android, I could always just you know download MP3 files. Um, if I didn't want an app that I had to pay for, you know, I could just find an APK online. Um, and just a whole bunch of other features that I missed from Android phones, and I still do to this day. <laughs> uh, but I will admit it, I did have to switch. I decided to make the switch because I was like, now I think I'm in a, I'm in a better place to enjoy the Apple ecosystem. And ever since making the switch, um, I actually haven't had really any issues at all. Um, so that's kind of why I jumped ship from uh, from Android to Apple. Um, no, I'm not an Apple fanboy. No, I'm not an Android fanboy. I can unbiasedly give my opinion to each one. 
That's that's fair. That's fair. I mean, you did call a Samsung phone a kitchen appliance, but we'll <laughs> we'll go with it. But I also slammed AirPod Max. You you no, you were kind of forcing that, but we can go with it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, okay. <laughs> what about you, Janil? I'm assuming you're an Android boy, or you said you were a neutral man. But what product do you use? Well, yeah, I I don't have a preference towards any of them. Like I'll just get whatever's good at the time or whatever I feel is good. Uh, I still have my S9 Plus from like grade 12. It's working wonderfully. It hasn't slowed down a tad bit, thankfully. Um, I haven't had issues with any of my Android phones that I've had in the past. Like the only thing that's happened to them is they broke because I dropped them or they fell in water or something like that. Uh, other than that, as far as like software and hardware issues goes, I haven't had any issues. However, uh, I think it was Bisham or Sashwat that mentioned earlier how um, Android phones, especially Samsung phones, are getting like stupidly expensive. Their Note 20 Plus is $1,850 plus tax. A laptop doesn't cost that much. So uh, I, 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 like, I'm, I'm probably going to make the Apple Switch the next time I buy a phone. It won't be a Samsung phone just because of how, how expensive they're getting. Also, the build quality was mentioned. Uh, the older Samsung phones, for example, my S9 Plus is built like a tank. You've got metal corners and glass sandwich, which is like great. Now they're moving to a plastic side and a plastic back, I think. Like the S21 is going to be plastic, the back at least, which is absurd because they're obviously not going to lower the prices. I don't expect this company that's producing an $1,800 phone to lower the prices. So now you're going to be paying you know, over $1,000 for a plastic phone, which just, it, I can't justify that price for what I'm getting. Whereas Apple is out here producing better phones, like the iPhone 12 is better than their 11 for the exact same price. Apple is doing completely the opposite of what I would expect them to do, which is, uh, which is like increased prices. So I too will probably be making an Apple Switch, but not because like Bisham said, I'm not an Android fanboy or an Apple fanboy, just completely unbiased. And I just roll with whatever's good at the time. Well, well lucky for all of us, we have a Samsung fanboy or an Android phone fanboy with us. Shashwat? Okay, so I like the points you guys made. He's going right? to go off on all of you. <laughs> right, like you guys, I heard everything like of uh, price going up, no 20 plus, but... Like, my uh -huh. point is, I think iPhone Hold up, prices... let me go are... grab my popcorn. <laughs> I, th uh -huh. I, th I think iPhone I prices have, have gone up too, right? So, in a sense that iPhone has been doing this, right? Like, before, when I was, like, getting a phone, for example, you always thought of iPhone as being, like, the most expensive phone, right? But right. I know I know Samsung brought, up, brought out the Fold, like, all of the things that they're doing with, like, the Note 20 Ultra, Note 20 Plus... Like, I feel like what Samsung does great, in my opinion, right, is they they take care of all all consumers. So if you go on the Samsung web website, right, go try to buy a phone there, you'll see a phone that starts from a hundred dollars, right, all the way up to, as you mentioned, two thousand, two thousand five hundred dollars. I think that's just a great thing, right? Uh, in my opinion, at least that. It's not like Apple where they only have in a price range or in a one specific high price range that they have right now. So yeah, that's just my opinion, right? You guys have any add-ons, Philip, if you want to mention something? Yeah, Philip's been awfully quiet. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> nah, it's just, it's just I've, I've been both a Samsung user and an iPhone user, currently an iPhone user. Uh, having the experience of like using a note and the normal like s series of samsung and now using like the iphone models right i would choose iphone any day yes uh i think bishan mentioned about the uh, like the apks and like the uh different like features the more uh developer options the android iphones provide you with it is available but like to a normal user most of them don't end up using any of those right uh yes also samsung is highly expensive like it's 1800 dollars plus right uh but like it does come with the specifications of like a full-on laptop i'll say that right like i think it's like six or eight gigs no 12 gigs ram i believe right and like it goes up to like a terabyte in space uh uh and like it, it, it sounds insane right i'll give it that but yeah. like for a daily user uh someone like I think in any field, right, of uh, career, 
I feel like an iPhone would be the most logical option people would go with. And it's not overpriced like a Samsung. Like you can get a hundred and twenty-eight gig uh, iPhone, like the twelve, like the biggest one for like fifteen hundred dollars. Yes, plus tax, right? If you go for the five twelve, it comes around nineteen hundred, right? And then it's and the same uh, gets I guess the playing field as uh, as as the Note twenty Ultra, right? But then again, you get the uh, uh, options of like one twenty-eight, two fifty-six, and five twelve. So you're not like forced to go and buy a five twelve, which I believe is what Samsung does. I don't think they have a smaller version than 512 with their... Well, you also have to, like, I, 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 I was bashing Apple earlier and Samsung at the same time, but I, Sasha, I think, mentioned this. You have to acknowledge the fact that not everyone can afford $1,000 phones, which is Apple's, like, minimum, unless you buy the SE, which is still $700, yeah, $600, yeah, $700, $700, I yeah. think, which even then for some people could be a bit expensive, like, there might be people who can only spend $300 on a phone, for example. Apple does not provide that. See, then that. you can go for an older phone. Like for the current technology, right? And like the latest stuff, you have to pay what the like what the market value is. You not you can't go and expect, expect to buy a, a luxury brand car for like 20K, right? Which you can do by buying an older year, right? Your model. So like you have to pay market value. Market value is something that everyone has to take into consideration when we talk about prices. Yes, but Android phone, like Android companies like Samsung, OnePlus, uh, the Chinese brands like Xiaomi and Oppo, they provide some really, really good like flagship phones for three, four hundred dollars. That's why people who which cannot... Samsung phone is three hundred dollars. I would like to know which. Oh, A series. A the A series, yeah, the J series, the M series. There's there's a lot. It's just they're not widely available in Canada unless you mm -hmm. buy it from Amazon, for example, because of the marketplace sellers. But they they do exist. It's just, uh, yeah, you have to consider the fact that not everyone can mm -hmm. afford thousand dollar Samsung and Apple phones. So that's that's the one good thing I like about Samsung. They have a really really wide range of phones for everyone from like two hundred dollars to two thousand dollars. I agree with you on that. Then again, also another factor, like with the price points is like, if people are willing to, uh, what's it called, go after like trends, I guess then people are willing to pay any amount. That's why Apple really succeeds with their insane prices on different products, right? Uh, not going to support the AirPod prices because uh, it's projected that their AirPod, like overall AirPod uh, revenue will decrease for 2021 and 2022, right? But like overall, like in their phone prices, they can pull out different things out of the phone and still manage to sell it for eighteen or nineteen hundred dollars, right? Just because of the trend factor. Plus, with those and, pricing, yeah. I feel like Apple—they always started high to begin with. Like back in the iPhone four days, they were kind of expensive and ahead of the market in terms of price to begin with. And I feel that Apple's made just a steady incline to prices to a point where, you know, every year when someone sees the new price for an iPhone, uh, someone that's very heavily Apple-based or biased at least would be like, oh, it's just another one or 200 bucks, right? Mm -hmm. And for that reason, people kind of just, you know, suck it up and, and pay yeah, the yeah. extra money. But compared to, um, you know, like the other brands like Samsung, Xiaomi, Huawei, they used to be very, very budget friendly. Prime example is OnePlus. Back in the day, their OnePlus One phone was meant to be a flagship killer coming in at 300 bucks and holding flagship specs, right? See how big the price got. Like, if you take a look in price difference over the years, now it's eleven. Um, the other brands have made such a higher number, such a higher inflation compared to Apple, um, solely because they started off lower um, in the past. And I feel that's kind of also why they're receiving that, you know, phase of backlash see, now. But I don't blame them. That's the thing. So the thing is, like, when Apple is pushing up these prices, they're also offering like as I said, the modern technology, right? Like the screen, the processor and stuff. So to compete with Apple, uh, whether it's OnePlus or Samsung, they still have to push up their specifications, right? So with that push up, so does the price push up happen. So like, I understand like uh, like OnePlus, I remember, like I even looked into OnePlus when it came out, it was like 300, mm -hmm. I think it was a OnePlus 2, I'm not sure which one it was, right? And like, it was like, I think it was like 300 or 400 on Amazon at that time, right? Uh, like, yes, but they did not offer the specifications like an iPhone offered at that time, right? They were the lower-end phone, which still offered somewhat of the things that Apple was offering. But at the same time, it was just mainly for, like, you know, get your work done, right. get, get, like, get the usage out of it type of thing, right? You get to use it. 
but like now they're trying to up their game with like the new screens, the new processors, and like just the overall specification, right? So trying to compete with Apple, I feel like would also increase the price. So I don't blame these companies, like the lower or like the cheap, previously cheaper companies exactly. now upping their prices, right? Yeah, I, th- I think we could just say that we'll just conclude the debate by saying both of y'all did great. Everyone high fives all around the table. Good job, guys. No, air fives. COVID, dude. <laughs> My bad. Gel. Air fives. Six feet apart. Let's get the people. All yes, right. Sir. So I think with that, we can end our uh, um, very fastly escalated uh, tech trends. Um, <laughs> so if you would like to listen to more of our stuff, check us out at Stark Enterprises on li- listening platforms like Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcast. If you have any questions you're dying to ask or have a guest idea that you want to see featured on the podcast, shoot us a DM at underscore Stark Enterprises. Want to get to know us and our projects a bit better? Check out our website in the link on our Instagram bio. With that, I am Mevin Matthew. With me was Philip Thomas, Sasha Chuhan, Janil Patel, and Bishan Ramkisun. And this has been Stark Talks.